What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 27 of the Talking Chop podcast. This is a special edition episode that we're coming to you in the middle of the week. Uh, the reason for that uh, recording uh, is that Andrew Jones and John Scherholz will be inducted into the Braves Hall of Fame uh, on Friday. Wanted to come with a podcast uh, based on those guys, but something else happened on Wednesday evening. We are recording Wednesday night, and uh, in order to uh, commemorate that event, I am joined by a uh, special guest who really isn't a guest at all. His name is Carlos Colazo. What's up, man? What's up, Brad? Thanks for having me on for such an elite uh, episode of the podcast. It's exciting to talk about Dansby, obviously, and then some Braves legends, hopefully, who Dansby's going to follow in their footsteps a little bit. Yeah, Dansby Swanson uh, debuted on Wednesday. Again, we're recording this Wednesday night, so depending on when you hear it, he may have done something else crazy on Thursday or Friday. Um, but Dansby debuted with a two for four night here on uh, Wednesday in a in a blowout loss, of course, because be <laughs> nothing but the Braves wasn't a blowout loss. Uh, you know, actually, it was this game was tied late in the game, and then Minnesota kind of battered. Uh, the Braves bullpen into submission, but it was a fun night for Swanson. He hit the ball hard three different times. His first at bat, uh, he really kind of stung a ball to center field directly at center fielder, but ended up with two hits, a pair of singles, a nice single in the ninth inning, and uh, it was just fun to watch. Dansby Swanson played Major League Baseball. Uh, there was been some, uh, I don't want to say controversy, but some people were not too happy that he came up this week. I don't really understand that mindset. It's kind of just exciting because maybe it's because I knew it was kind of it was going to happen. Uh, you know, most of the year we've all been assuming. I know you and I have that mm-hmm. he was coming up, so it was kind of a foregone conclusion. But it's just fun for me. I don't know about you, how you feel about him coming up now, and uh, I guess what happened tonight and all that stuff. Yeah, no, I, I didn't get to see him tonight. Unfortunately, I was eating fish tacos on the beach with my grandma who came to visit me. So In, in San Diego, we should mention, you're still yeah, there. Yeah, in San Diego. So unfortunately, it's kind of a bummer of a night. Didn't get to watch Dansby. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm kind of surprised you said that people were bummed out that he was brought up. Is it just nerds worried about like service time stuff or what? Uh, because- mostly. I mean, you know... It's a lot of, there's a lot, a lot of service time stuff. There was some he's not ready stuff, which I, you know, I get it. Yeah. Uh, you know, but my thing is, I guess in my mind, this was always going to happen either now or they were going to start next season with with Dansby as a starting shortstop. So mm-hmm. the service time stuff doesn't matter to me at all because I always assumed he was going to start next season at shortstop in any event, which is the same service time as him coming up now. Um, and again, you know, John Coppolella said, you know, in plain terms on the radio, I think it was yesterday uh, or maybe even today, that he was uh, not at all concerned with service time. That they weren't they were going to hold back Dansby based on that. And I'm kind of on board with that approach, just because I mean, obviously, it's it's probably smarter money wise to, to to think about service time, but in terms of like not trying to screw over and manipulate players, uh, it's it, you can you can build some goodwill this way. There's been some famous instances. I think of Chris Bryant. A year ago, where the Cubs like, you know, blatantly waited for him to cross that threshold before calling mm-hmm. him up. It's just not great PR. So yeah. I think if they thought Dansby was ready to go, and they obviously do, then go ahead and bring him up now. Generate some excitement, and this team's not going to win anyway. But if he was going to start the season next year as a starter, then go ahead and get, get him some abs now. Yeah, well, let it be known that no man, no general manager in baseball will ever say that they're holding a player down because of the service time. That's just how it is. They're they not going to absolutely get to that. cannot say that because they'd be yeah. in trouble. <laughs> they, they would get they would get crucified for it, and rightfully so. But that's definitely how they operate. So I, I, I think it's good to see Dansby come up for Braves fans. Obviously, I don't get to watch the team as much as I normally would. Um, but this is an exciting player. This is a guy who you're hoping that the team is really built around him, along with Freddie Freeman, and hopefully. Ozzy Al- Albies there in the middle infield. I mean, that's a that's a strong infield, and you hope that 
these guys can kind of develop into the players that we've all been dreaming about uh, since really since they were acquired uh, with the team. I think Dansby definitely has some high expectations for him, so I'll be curious to see how the fan base kind of reacts to that, to see if he goes more like a – if he follows like a Jason Hayward route where there's a contingent of people who really think he's underperforming. Obviously, this depends on what he does, how he actually plays. We've only seen one game, but it'll be interesting to see how, how people react to him. Seems like he's the perfect figurehead for the Braves, considering his background, what he said about the team. Uh, and I'm confident that he's going to be a really good player moving forward. I don't know if he'll be an elite hitter by any means, but uh, two hits tonight. Well, he's, he tied the lead with Ender Enciarte today, so you could you could argue that he's already best hitter on the team. Uh, yeah, I guess I think I think I'll I think I'll, I think I'll take Freddie just just by just by a nose, but no. I, mean, I guess he's got a little bit of a track record on Dansby, but yeah, yeah. slightly. But no, I think uh, in terms of Dansby, it'll be interesting to see how fans react if he's the type of player that I think he's going to be, which is kind of a guy who's just good at everything and not great at anything. So um, like Derek Jeter. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the comp that uh, all the Yankees use. fans who listen are pissed right now. Well, that's fine. I mean, I get that comp <laughs> honestly because Jeter was always kind of that guy who was like really good at everything and not great at anything. Mm-hmm. But you know, Jeter was obviously incredibly awesome for a long time. Like by yeah. the end, it was ugly on defense and stuff. But like he had some MVP level years. So like if Dansby gets anywhere near that, even for even for a shorter period of time than Jeter, then that's obviously a no, great definitely, win. yeah. I knock on Jeter a lot just because I think he's vastly overrated. But if if Dansby turns into anything like uh, Jeter, then I think everyone will be excited. I think Dansby seems like a more a little bit better with the glove and a little bit less impact with the bat at this point. But it's very early, so we'll it, is, it is super early. But yeah, I wish to see how people treat him because of the fact that I'm not sure he's going to have the big time. Uh, hitting statistics that you want out of a quote-unquote star-level prospect. So that's going to be interesting to see who turns on him first. Uh, some of the fan base, was, this is kind of what happens. You know, you always have the factions that kind of form um, of things. I, I thought about that today when I saw people kind of crapping on this decision to call him up now as if it was some crazy thing. Mm-hmm. Like, guys, didn't, didn't we know this was going to happen like yeah. months ago? Like, I think we've all kind of assumed this. So, And, and especially, like you mentioned, if the service time is the same if he was the starter next season. Like, and it is. Same group of, the same group of people who are mad now would probably be mad if he wasn't the starter next season. So, like, what's your argument then? Yeah, I mean, the one that I heard more often, and we'll get away from we won't spend too much time on this, I guess, but um, the one I heard most often in those was that they didn't think Dave was going to be ready to start next season either. So it, it, was like, okay. it was like, okay, they're not going to compete next year either, uh, so why start now? I'm like, okay, if you feel that way, I guess that makes some sense, but that just they never seems real. Man. It's just not realistic to me. It was, no, it's it was not, especially with him coming out of college. Like, there's only so much he can toil away in the minors. For sure, and uh, it's more more fun. I mean, I just did, I had a lot of fun, kind of just seeing the buzz that happened today because you know the Braves have not been generating a ton of mm-hmm. buzz. Yeah, did you notice the attendance? How was that today? Uh, it looked better. I haven't seen the actual number. I could probably find that while we're talking, but. Um, you know, it definitely looked like it was a lot more full than it would have been on a Wednesday. I got the attendance for you. Well, there you go. All right. No, here. What do you think it was over or under 23,000? Um, I'll say under, but slightly. Okay. Smart man. The official attendance, which normally always lower than the official attendance, is 19,304. Yeah, so I mean, no, honestly, for the Twins on a Wednesday, the Twins are awful, as we all know. <laughs> uh, twins on a Wednesday, they probably would have gone, probably done like 12, is yeah. my guess. 
So, I mean, you got the little bump. I'm sure Dansby's contingent was out because he's a local guy. Uh, and But, you know, with only one day's notice, a lot of people aren't going to be able to just change their plan That's to go fair. down there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the bump, there'll be a little bit of a bump for Swanson, just like there'll be a little bit of a bump uh, as Turner Field comes to a close here down the stretch. But he's not going to drive attendance in the same way that uh, an actual star would uh, early on because, I mean, for people like us, we all know who this guy is, but casual fans – they probably have heard of Dansby Swanson by now, but it's not like they're they're waiting with bated breath for this guy to appear yeah. um, on a, on an awful team because obviously this team is not good right now. But um, yeah, it's 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 just fun to watch the buzz take place because most of this year, all the positive things have been like these like off kilter trades that copy pulls off that we all love <laughs> as diehards. But uh, casual fans are like, okay, who's Travis Demerit? I don't know who that is. <laughs> um, so no, this is actually this is an easy one to get behind. It's fun. Definitely. Uh, all right. With Swanson out of the way, we weren't going to do too, too much on that. We wanted to talk a lot about Andrew Jones and John Sherholtz. Uh, again, these guys are being inducted into the Braves Hall of Fame on Friday. There's going to be a lot of fanfare. They do that annual luncheon where they uh, honor these guys. Uh, Andrew was a, a fan favorite for a lot of people, also a controversial player for a lot of people. And Sherholtz was obviously the uh, architect, or at least one of the architects of that, uh, of the 14 consecutive division titles in the 95 World Series. Uh, I guess I'll ask you to start with, we'll start on Andrew. Um, what's your overall, I mean, obviously you're a lot younger than I am, and mo- mm-hmm. you kind of came along at the end of the Andrew run, but um, what's your overall takeaway on Andrew Jones? Like, how do you think of him when, you, when I mentioned his name? What, what comes to mind for you? And uh, I want to see how that lines up with what I got. All right. So when I think of him, like obviously I didn't, I didn't get to see him in his prime. I wasn't really watching baseball every day when he was doing his ridiculous stuff. I think right around 2005, 2006 is when I really started following baseball regularly. And that 2005 season was probably his best offensive year, if you're just looking at the numbers. But when I think of Andrew, I think of just the elite defender that everyone talks about, these ridiculous plays that you see that he did. Um, I think of him being an underrated player just because I've, I've read a lot of the stuff that you've written about Andrew Jones. I know how you think of him and I respect your opinions on Andrew. Um, so mine's a little bit different than someone who maybe was watching him throughout his whole career, but I definitely think he's one of the most underrated players uh, currently. I mean, you look at, you look at his, just his numbers and the offensive numbers maybe don't look as nice in the traditional stats with batting average uh, and on base percentage. Even That's not really traditional, but when he was when he was playing those like what he did wasn't really valued that well and i know you touched on this in a piece that you wrote earlier this january so you can talk a little bit more about that but he's a guy that seemed like he was always an exciting player to watch and i know that a lot of fans kind of turned on him when he kind of got out of shape near the end of his career but he brought a ton of value to a team that was really good for a long time and i think that this is long overdue for him i don't really know what the the, the track the, the the time period is for retiring numbers or putting people in the Hall of Fame, but I think he's definitely deserving of this. And I think there's even an argument that he's a Hall of Fame caliber player just in general, but that's probably a little bit tougher to make. Yeah, I mean, I, you mentioned that piece I wrote. I basically wrote, um, and you can check that out on, on Talking Chop, um, I basically wrote that Andrew came along about 10 years too early, um, just in the fact that um, we know so much more about defense now. We value defense a lot more now than people did in that era. Uh, obviously, there are a lot of fans now who still don't really value defense in that same way. But I think, in terms of like the writing community, uh, the you know the more informed, uh, sabermetric-ish people really value defense at a higher level now. And Andrew was you know unquestionably one of the best defensive center fielders of all time. Uh, really, one of the best defensive players of all time. I'd say probably safely in the top twenty in that category. That's my 
might even be conservative, mm-hmm. given that he played center field, a premium position, and was you know you know per- perennially the best in the business at uh, at defending center field. Uh, and when you combine that with power, like uh, Andrew was very frustrating to watch play because uh, you know he'd strike out a lot in an era where that wasn't exactly em- embraced at the same level that it is now. He had some really ugly at bats, like he chased. He didn't. He didn't walk a lot. It was one of those things where he didn't get on base a ton, but his power was so real. Like, you know, I, I made a note before this podcast. Like over a ten-year period, from 1998 to, 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 through 2007, he had, he had a slugging percentage of over 500 over a ten-year period <laughs> with three with 345 home runs. I mean, so his like, career ISO is 231, which is extremely impressive. Yeah, I mean, Andrew had huge power. He had, he had, he had at least 26 home runs in each of those 10 seasons. He had eight seasons with 30-plus homers. He led the league with 51 homers. You mentioned in 2005, his best offensive season, uh, a 575 slugging with 51 home runs. Like, that's insanity. Um, yeah, he led the league in homers and RBIs that year for all you RBI fans. Yeah, if you like RBIs. 128. Yeah, I mean, it's one of, you know, and it was all, like, it's basically all surplus considering how great he was defensively. Even if he was just a throwaway uh, at the at the plate, he still would have been a starting level player considering mm-hmm. his defense in center field. I think of like Ender and Ciarte, and we all we all love Ender, but like he's you know he may not even be as good as Andrew was defensively, or I'm, I'm going to say he wasn't as he's not as good as Andrew was defensively, and yeah. he's not nearly the hitter that Andrew was, like not even in the same realm of possibility. And we all love Ender, so mm-hmm. it's it's a, that's a that's a comp for now, but. You know, Andrew Jones is solidly in the top like 150 of all time in WAR for both Baseball Reference and Fangraphs. Like this is a, you mentioned the Hall of Fame level player. Like I think there's pretty much no chance he gets in the Hall of Fame, yeah, unless something drastic happens. But like if you compare his numbers to that of like Dale Murphy, a guy who all Braves fans love, I think Andrew had a better career than Dale Murphy, which is like that seems aggressive. I'm sure people are going to scream at me about that statement, but <laughs> like, if you look at the numbers, man, and, and the, just the defensive impact and the longevity of Andrew, like his career was better. Like, I'm sorry. I know Murphy yeah. won the MVPs and stuff and that, that swings to people's minds, but this is a guy who absolutely should have his number retired if nothing else. I think Andrew's definitely a good, just a good case argument for uh, just what numbers you value because a lot of people, they don't, there's no quantifiable number for them that you can put on defense. They don't, there's there's a lot of work that still needs to be done with defensive metrics, but for a lot of people, it's just how good do they look on the field to you? Do they look like they're a good defender? And while obviously that's true of Andrew, you don't really see how good he was until you look into these numbers. And just a quick second, can you imagine, like in some kind of hypothetical world where you have Ender Enciarte in left, Andrew Jones in center, and Jason Hayward in right in the same outfield? Who is, just just, who, who is Jason Hayward? I don't know just who that is. These are all guys that are like insane defenders in the outfield that have played for the Braves. Like if you can just take them in their peak defensive years and put them in the same outfield, I wonder like how many fly balls would actually hit the ground. Yeah, I mean that's that's obviously crazy. I mean the comp honestly that I was gonna make, I wrote this down and it's it seems kind of insane, but like I think about Anderson Simmons, right? Um, I was about to when you talked about him looking crazy swinging, I was about to ask if it was anything similar to Simmons, just without the power, because yeah. he's the only guy that that comes to mind for me, like looking crazy in the batter's box, just swinging out of his shoes, falling down. No real like it didn't look like he was going up there with a plan. Um, but Andrew obviously had the power that could make up for that. Yeah, I mean, Andrew was a little bit better, obviously, even <laughs> even looking better than Simmons is kind of legendary for looking awful at the plate, but. <laughs> You know, I think of uh, I think of him as like a, def- a defensive comp. Like Simmons is, by all accounts, you know, one of the best defensive players of all time. 
uh, given that he played shortstop, a premium position, and is like mm-hmm. obviously the best defensive shortstop there is for you know a handful of years now. Um, Andrew similarly played, you know, shortstop and center field are the two premium spots if you think about defense, and those are the two spots those guys played. And think about how much we all love Simmons too, and guys like Hayward. Uh, I think of Ozzie Smith, like guys who you know almost all of our defense, almost all our value is is pulled from defense. Yeah, Andrew had that level of defense, and then still hit 400 plus home runs. With like with with a slugging percentage near 500 for his career, like this is yeah. insane. Like I wonder why he is so undervalued. Is it just because Chipper was there and it was kind of always better, or yeah, or like, I what's think the it's, reasoning for that. I think it's Chipper. Chipper definitely didn't help, and also I think it's just the frustration level, like of of fans. Like I remember as a kid, you know, I, I was I'm obviously older than you are, but in his prime, mm-hmm. I was still like I was in school, like I was like in middle school when he was like peaking. And, like, I think about my dad, for instance, like, who's not a super diehard baseball fan but watches the Braves. And, like, he used to just be driven insane by Andrew. Yeah. Because Andrew, like, was, he, he, he was super nonchalant in the outfield. Like, you could you, – he made everything look so easy that, like, he wasn't even trying. <laughs> and then he had these ugly strikeouts at the plate. Like, he'd swing at stuff out of like, – like, it was in, it was in the, the opposing batter's box. Like, you know, he just didn't look the part of, like, a traditional, like – all-star, superstar, Hall of Fame, like, little player. Like, Chipper is, like, that guy. Chipper had yeah. his famous, like, 300, 400, 500 slash line, like, always do the right stuff, like, looks like a, just looks like a Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. Here's and that my, was not Andrew. Here's my quick hypothesis that I've just come up with while looking at these two numbers. And uh, I, I feel like this has a lot to do with it just because strikeouts are something that people get so upset about. I mean, you see in the, with the 2013 Braves team, there's so much talk about how much that team struck out, Ugh. despite the fact that they were a really good offensive team. But if we use that same time period that you mentioned from 1998 to 2007, and I'll even take it back one more year, so 1997 to 2007, Andrew struck out over 100 times every single year. And that'll do it. The least amount of strikeouts was 100 in, two, in uh, 2000. And his most uh, came in 2001, where he struck out 100. No, excuse me, 2004, where he struck out 147 times. And you compare that to Chipper from 1997 to 2007. He didn't have a single season where he struck out 100 times. Most was in 90. Uh, the most was in 2004 when he struck out 96 times. So I feel like just that number right there, like just the high strikeouts, would immediately turn a lot, turn off a lot of old school, more traditional people to him in the first place. For sure, uh, yeah. I mean, I think it's it's probably a combination of all these things. It's just that uh, I think a lot of it, honestly, was again that he made everything everything look so easy. Uh, even his difficult catches, like the way that he would break on balls, his instincts, like were like just off the charts. But that's not something you can see on D, on on TV, especially for mm-hmm. an outfielder. Like you can you, you can definitely see it in person. But you're talking if you're about, looking for it too, right? Exactly. <laughs> so it's like the highlight catches you can remember. You can remember, but it was always that Andrew was just you know, lined up perfectly or making a perfect jump and like just doing the same things. It's the same thing we've been, we've been talking about with Hayward forever is that they're just so good at like everything defensively that it looks so easy. Yeah. Uh, and Andrew did it for longer <coughs> in center field and like was, you know, by all accounts, like, you know, he went to, I mean, gold gloves don't mean that much to be honest, but yeah, Jeter he, won like five. Well, and, Andrew has 10. I like, hate to like, keep talking about Derek Jeter, but yeah, the, like that's insane. Like you don't want. I mean, I guess you could win ten gold gloves without being a good defensive player, but like he was known for that. But Jeter, the thing is with Jeter, like Jeter was overrated because he was so good at everything else. 
Mm. Andrew doesn't really have that. Like that that backdrop is not the same for Andrew. Is that that he? I think he earned those Gold Gloves by just being awesome yeah. uh, defensively. So you I know, think. I mean, the big takeaway, I guess, for me is that he's, he remains, like, criminally underrated, and I'm glad the Braves are starting to, like, sort of recognize him more often. I, I can't wait for them to retire his number. I hope they do that. They've not announced that just yet. Um, I don't really have visions, again, of him, of him making the Hall of Fame as much as I think he might have a real case there. Um, but, you know, he, he at the very least should be in the Braves Hall of Fame, as he will be this weekend, and hopefully his jersey will be retired so that nobody else is wearing 25 anytime soon. Yeah, is anyone is anyone wearing twenty five right now? I'm going through the roster right now. Tyler Flowers. Tyler Flowers. Yeah, I was. I mean, and they've given it to some pretty hilarious people. Yeah. I, I like Tyler Flowers, but uh, again, you know, nobody should be wearing twenty five uh, ever again. And hopefully, that will be rectified uh, shortly. Maybe somebody could send uh, whoever makes that decision over that piece that I wrote just to say, "Hey, Andrew's pretty good, man. Yeah, he's a solid guy." Um, but yeah, we could probably talk about Andrew all day, but it's. Uh, it's a guy who I was guilty uh, as a youngster of underrating, and I realized as an adult that uh, we all did that. So I think mm-hmm. he's. Uh, it's good to see him getting his due in Braves Hall of Fame stuff. And while that's probably not going to be like a national uh, announcement that happens, um, you know, Fox Sports South always does a good job in covering that. So you'll want to watch uh, Andrew get enshrined, or, uh, or however you want to say that, on Friday, mm-hmm. as well as, as well as his former general manager yeah, and uh, before, team. Before president. we jump into him. Do you want to do you want to hear the list of players who have had the number twenty five since Andrews? Oh yes, please. Off the please race. Give it All right, to me. I'll go through it. It's it's pretty short, but the names are amazing. All right, Barbaro Canizares. Oh, that guy was that, that, that guy was a legendary <laughs> prospect, like who never could hit. In the, in the All right, two thousand nine, Barbaro. Then in the same year, two thousand nine, Ryan Church, the legendary Ryan Church. What's trade for Jeff Francoeur? <laughs> two thousand ten, Troy Gloss. Uh, I, you know, all right, I'm cool with Troy Gloss. He was cool. Okay. Uh, 2012, the uh, legendary slugger himself, Juan Francisco. Oh, dear God. <laughs> you remember old Juan? Juan had power. <laughs> I remember the argument used to be whether he was an everyday player or not. That was fun. Juan, uh, Juan versus Chris Johnson was a thing for a while. That was fun. 2013, Joey Tardoslovich. All right, that's just offensive. 2014, Christian Bethencourt. Your boy, former yes. San Diego Padre. Yeah, the uh, the pitcher, the outfielder, the catcher, Christian Bethencourt. 2015, Cameron Maven, okay. who sure. played well for half a season. <laughs> yeah. And then now Tyler Flowers. So elite company. There just was- stop giving that number away, please. <laughs> it's, it's time. Like, just gonna, stop it. Hopefully Tyler Flowers will get that. That sucker retired. I love Tyler Flowers. I, I'm a big fan. I wrote something positive about him a couple couple weeks and months ago. But come on, man, let's let's get this straight over with. Uh, all right. Um, before we, I guess we could probably move off Andrew now and move into his former general manager, uh, John Sherholtz will be joining Andrew Jones in the Braves Hall of Fame on Friday. Uh, obviously, it's more difficult to talk about um, executives. Uh, without having like their stats uh, like like you would with Andrew, but uh, mm-hmm. Sherrill's is obviously most famous for being the GM throughout the uh, 14 consecutive division titles and the World Series '95. Uh, he was elevated team president in 2007. Uh, obviously had a good a good long career before that uh, with the Royals and uh, elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Has been in the Braves organization for 26 years. 
uh, and more than 50 years as a Major League Baseball employee, which I think seems kind of insane because he's not that old. Like he must have started when he was like in his like very early 20s, like straight yeah. out of college. He was like an executive with Baltimore for two years in 1967 and 68, and that seems to That's be the 50 first years ago. That's insane. First start. Isn't that he's crazy? not that old. Like he, <laughs> yeah, I mean, he still gets around pretty well too. Yeah, so. if you see him now, like Sherholtz, like you would never guess that he's as old as he is. A and that you know. He's still like super functional. Like I bet he could probably be a functional GM in 2016. He so, probably has no desire to do that. Yeah. But uh, this is why it's it's difficult to talk about shareholders, especially coming from a 22 year old, because I literally don't have the information to be able to appreciate everything he did before I was even alive. Well, like this, this, this guy. This is why was, I had you on. This is why I had you on the podcast for your yeah. depth of knowledge about <laughs> the early 90s. I mean, he won a World Series with the Royals before I was born, and he won a World Series with the Braves when I was a year old. So. My knowledge of him is like hearing about him, which is like when you know you're, ta- you're talking about a really impressive figure and someone who's done a lot of good stuff when everyone has nothing but like glowing things to say. And I'm sure that has a lot to do with me like following the Braves growing up and working there last summer. But like this is a guy who's well regarded across the league. He's done a lot of really good stuff. So it's uh, definitely impressive and it's exciting to see him honored this Friday. Yeah, he was. I mean, he's on the rules committee for a long time. I should say that, like, some of the groundwork for the big run of the nineties was laid before he got there. Uh, Bobby was the GM uh, previous to that, and obviously Bobby was around. Bobby Cox yeah, was famous. he took around. over in nineteen ninety at the end of nineteen ninety. So, so yeah, you know, some of that credit has to go to Bobby as well for laying the groundwork. But Schultz was the guy who was keeping it going. Uh, the Braves kind of went through a bunch of uh, incarnations during that fourteen year run. Mm-hmm. Uh, they started spending a lot of money uh, under the Ted Turner era, which probably helped Schultz to be able to do his job well, but still have to do the right things and acquire the right players and pull off the right trades. And uh, he definitely deserves a ton of credit for uh, keeping that run going as long as it was because that's still the one, still one of the most impressive things in professional sports. And before anyone yells at me, I, I hear you 1994 Montreal Expos. I understand. <laughs> Jonah Carey will never hear this podcast, but if he hears me say this, he's going to correct me and say 14 out of 15. But the season didn't happen. The Braves weren't over. Um, Can't count it. Yep, so 14 in a row is what we'll go with. With, and uh, Schultz gets a lot of credit for that. I know we talked uh, before the, before starting the podcast. You went through and found a couple of things that were noteworthy that Schultz was able to pull off. Yeah. What'd you uncover and want to remind the people of uh, so, specifics that he did? So I found out you can't give 100 percent of the credit for these guys to Schultz because these are some uh, some interesting guys that he was responsible for drafting as a GM. So he's obviously the guy that's in charge. But there's a lot of people who are laying the groundwork for all this stuff. A lot of scouts working, but. There are some really cool names. The The most interesting, I thought, was that Schultz was in charge when the Royals drafted, in 1986, in the fourth round, Bo Jackson. Oh, wow. I, see, I, a, I never, I never would have had that yeah, one. Yeah, see, I, I never knew this at all until I was looking into it. That's, that's pretty fun. That worked um, out. Yeah, it did. For, we've got some first-round Braves picks. Uh, Adam Wainwright in 2000, Kelly Johnson in 2000, Jeff Francoeur in 2002. Jason Hayward in 2007, he was in charge for all these guys. Does, and then, uh, does he get credit for Adam Wainwright? Because even, even, even if he traded him for J.D. Drew? I guess you have to take away something. <laughs> like, good job. It's like, I don't know. It's I like know. I'm just when you do something really well and then you, like, you, you don't realize how good a job you just did, 
Shout out to, J- shout out to J.D. Drew for getting on, getting on the podcast. Uh, former legendary Braves outfielder yeah. uh, and local product. He's from Georgia, so uh, you know all the Drew clan is from Georgia. So that should be said. But yeah, no, I mean you have to be good enough at your job to draft Adam Wainwright in order to trade him. And obviously, exactly. J.D. Drew was a very good baseball player <laughs> uh, at the time. So yeah. it's not, it wasn't that awful of a trade on the surface. Probably one you want to take back, though. Uh, yeah. Some other notable Braves draftees who are not first round guys: uh, Jason Schmidt. Was drafted in 1991 in the eighth round. Kevin Millwood. Yep, Kevin Millwood in 1993. The 1993 draft class, like post, uh, like tenth round, was really good. Kevin Millwood in the eleventh round. Jermaine Die in the seventeenth round, and then the most, probably the most beloved Braves of, Brave of all time, John Rocker in the eighteenth round. Oh dear God, the John <laughs> Rocker thing. Yeah. At some point, I'll have to tell you my story about John Rocker, but I won't do that on the podcast today. But uh, yeah, there's uh, those are some diamonds in the rough to be sure. I mean, Schmidt and, <laughs> Schmidt and Millwood both with uh, Cy Youngs, and John Rocker was good at baseball yeah. for like. I mean, Jermaine Dye was good. All these guys. Jermaine Dye was great players. for a while. Yeah, he had a forty, so, you know, forty home run season after he left uh, the Braves. Yeah, he just he just played well when he wasn't with the Braves. Three more I have for you. I'm going to save. All right, we got Adam LaRoche in 2000. He was in the 29th round. Very good player. And then, obviously, Brian McCann in 2001. He was in the second round, so that's kind of borderline. But definitely the coolest name from all these like non-first-round Braves picks that Cheryl is responsible for is Marcus Giles in 1996. He was drafted in the 53rd round. We don't even have that many rounds at this point. And it's insane that he was able to get a player as good as Marcus Giles in the 53rd round. Yeah, that was uh, Giles is an all timer of a guy who just came out of nowhere and just decided to start mashing. And I'm sure there's a PED joke in there somewhere. Juice, juice helps with that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, look, you still have to find the guy who's going to do that. And he was yep. uh, somehow like an all star level second baseman uh, out of nowhere for a couple of years. It was fun. You know who was drafted after him in that draft in the 59th round? Barry Zito. Completely irrelevant, but that is that, very strange. That's sure. a wild draft. That's back when you could you could literally just keep drafting. There was no limit. Like teams would just keep drafting players. Uh, sign me up for that. I don't want. <laughs> I, I, I don't. I don't want to cover that. I, I feel. I feel bad for Eric Cole and the prospect guys if that happened now. But, oh uh, man, can you imagine? I can't but. imagine it would be. It would, I, I don't. I don't want to do that. So let's not speak it into existence. But uh, yeah, I'm sure. good. There are a couple of trades I can touch on as well. Two trades that popped out at me, but if you want to talk about something else, feel free. No, fire away. I like this stuff. All right. Yeah, this, this is kind of fun, like random trivia you never need to know, but it's like just interesting to think about. But uh, the first one that popped out to me was December 16th, 2004. Uh, Cheryl was in charge of trading Juan Cruz, Dan Meyer, and Charles Thomas. <laughs> the Oakland A's. Do you Tim know who Hudson. we got back? Tim Hudson deal. Yes, Tim Hudson. And I feel like that's a really good trade because I don't know who any of those other guys are. <laughs> uh, it was a good trade at the time. Like we, uh, I loved. I mean, I think I was. Uh, I was either a senior in high school or freshman in college, and I was incredibly happy about that deal. But one Cruz was like a thing for a minute. to that trade. Can you link your recap to that trade in the? In the uh, podcast? I don't think I don't think it existed at that time. I think that was <laughs> pre me writing. But I think Dan Meyer was the big prize for Oakland, uh-huh. which tells you all you need to know about that trade. There you go. And then uh, this one, everyone knows this trade. This is probably one of the more famous or infamous trades in recent Braves history. Um, July 30th, 2007. And that year, you probably already know who it is. But this is when uh, Schultz really just went for it all. Traded Jared Salta-Lamakia, Elvis Andrews, Neftali Feliz, Matt Harrison, and Bo Bo Jones to the Rangers for Ron Mahay and Mark Teixeira. 
That didn't go well. Uh, I'll give them credit as a front not office. For, not for Tashira doing poorly, mind you. No, yeah. I'll give them credit, credit as a front office for uh, them flipping Tashira the following year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that entire exchange did not go well for the Braves. In that, uh, wasn't, Tashira, there big, wasn't there a big return for Tashira the next year, Casey Kochman? Then? Yes. The, yes. So <laughs> I don't that, know if I'll give him as much credit. I was going to mention that. Yeah, that was that was not great. And also, you know, Teixeira was awesome, and the Braves still weren't good enough to do anything, yeah. which makes it seem like that wasn't the best idea at the time. And obviously, uh, they got pretty unlucky, I think, in that like almost all of the Rangers' prospects forked out. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Andrews is still churning her along as a pretty good shortstop. Salsalamaki didn't really ever pan out. He was kind of like the biggest piece of that deal, if I remember right. Um, he's still still playing and productive-ish. Yeah. But, uh, you know, Harrison was good for a while. I mean, Neftali had two seasons where he was good, then he just yeah, fell. Yeah, I mean, they all kind of fizzled except for uh, Andrews, but yeah. so many pros. I mean, even at the time, like reading things at the time, I was like, wow, that's a lot to give up for, <laughs> like, for a year and a half of Mark Teixeira. Right? And like the thing with that 2017, wasn't the, the starting rotation just dreadful? Yeah, that team was not good enough to be that's doing like that. That's like when, was the thing. when Jojo wasn't... Reyes was in the rotation, right? Am that I... was the problem. Yeah, the problem was going all in with a team that didn't have any business going all in. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, and uh, in the year and a half, it was really like a full season. He played 157 games for the Braves in 2007 to 2008. He hit 17 home runs the first year, and then he hit 20 with Atlanta before he was traded to the Angels. And he was like a 300 hitter during that time while playing really good defense. was awesome. Getting on base at like a 400, like 40% of the time, excuse me. Yeah, he was a monster, but it's baseball. You can't do it with one guy. Uh, for sure, just just ask Mike Trout and Freddie Freeman this year. Poor, poor Trout. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, but the just big... some fun stuff that we have from Sherholtz. I think those are kind of interesting to look into. Definitely for me, seeing some of these guys who I've heard of but had no idea they had any kind of connection to uh, Sherholtz. Yeah, I mean, the Fred McGriff deal was a legendary one in that he came over and they had you know, the fire and all that stuff in the middle of that pennant race. Uh, he managed to get Greg Maddox. Um, in the middle of his, in the middle of his, he had just he just he just won the Cy Young, and the Braves somehow managed to pull for him away with a large contract, which helps. <laughs> but uh, you know, grabbing him, uh, dang, back when the Braves spent money too, right? Well, that's the thing. Like, can imagine a lot of people would kind of. If you're trying to discount uh, Sherholtz, uh, the way to do that would be to say that the Braves had the biggest payroll in the league, which mm. did happen a couple times along with the Yankees. Like the Braves were spending a ton of money, but they still did they still did smart things like signing Maddox. Like I know it's easy to sign the best pitcher in baseball, but they invested in a guy like Maddox who ended up being even better in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. Uh, the McGriff deal worked out famously. Andres Galarraga. I mean, a bunch of these free agents, Galarraga, Gary Sheffield worked out. Um, some good trades, like the one they traded for, you know, Kenny, the Kenny Loft thing didn't, didn't exactly go great, but Marquise Grissom was a guy Sherholtz brought in, who famously caught the last out of the World Series. Um, you know, he made all these uh, all these right moves. Uh, nobody has 100% success rate, but Sherholtz mm-hmm. did a very, very, very nice job for almost, you know, almost two decades in the GM role, and that has to be, uh, that counts for something, because, you know, no, a lot of GMs are not around for 17 years, and then, and if, and then if they part ways, they normally don't just get bumped up to the to the higher part of the front office and like exactly. the ship for another ten. No, you don't see that anymore. Uh, no, for so he's a, he's a legend. I think Sherlock will probably be in the in the Hall of Fame Hall of Fame. Uh, yeah, I think long. so too. Uh, 
Um, so that's probably going to happen down the line. But for now, he'll have to settle for Braves Hall of Fame honors. And I kind of feel bad for Schultz because, like, I think Andrew's going to get most of the attention. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you think? He's, well, because he's a player. The, I think for the fans, for yeah, for sure. But, like, that, the team definitely is going to give him. Oh, yeah, the team will definitely blow it out for Schultz. I agree mm-hmm. with you there. I no, but you're right. It is harder to appreciate a, a front office guy than a player. You're right. Yeah, coverage-wise, yeah. it's just so much easier to write about a player. And you can use stats and stories and things like that where, uh, Schultz is going to be more you can, you can recap his moves like we've kind of done here but um, it's not quite as exciting as talking about Andrew making crazy catches and hit 50 home runs alright here, here's my last little hypothetical question for you as we sort of wrap this stuff up if you could strip John Schultz of his presumed Hall of Fame induction I feel like I feel like that's a pretty safe bet that he's going to be Right. Yeah, I I think so. Okay. If you could just take that away in order to give it to Andrew, because Andrew is much more unlikely to get in, would you do it? You're in charge. No one knows it's you, but you do it. No, everyone knows it's you. Yeah, I can't. I mean, (laughs) you don't want to. I mean, I think Schultz deserves it, so you don't want to take it away from him. Well, it's tough for you because you think they both do. So that's. I do. I mean, I have to honestly. I I need to do the actual like super deep dive on Andrew Andrew's Hall of Fame candidacy. So like, I don't think he's like a slam dunk Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. So I'll say no. Uh, I think he has a case and one that I will probably make at some point in the future on TalkingChop.com. Yeah. But um, without the without the knowledge in my mind that he's like a like a no doubter for the Hall of Fame. I will. Uh, I'll let. I'll let Sherholtz get in with oh. my all with my all encompassing power that you've just given. Me. <laughs> all right, fair enough. Take the easy way out. That is the easy way out, and I'll take the easy way out all. Day it might very day. well be the right way, but and enough. listen, Andrew and Andrew and Sherholtz are getting inducted on my birthday. My birthday is Friday, so it's fitting that Andrew gets inducted. Happy birthday, Brad! Sprightly twenty three. I'm an old man. I'm older than that. Uh, I won't say how old I am. I'm older <laughs> than you. Um, I'm not the oldest guy on the staff, though, so that's something. There are at least two people older than me on the Talking Chop staff. Like, you guys can figure out who those people are yeah. on your own. I already know who one is. I've got an idea who the other but I guess I'll leave that to myself. It's not Carlos. Maybe so. we can do another. Well, I guess I, I don't even count. Oh, yeah, you don't it's count. sad, right? Gone. Dang. Anyway. I feel uh, like I have a good a good case for the youngest if I was, but even then, I don't, I don't know what you guys are up to these days. I think days. Garrett might have you. Anyway. <sighs> um, Damn, Garrett. <laughs> or Tyler, one of those. Guys. <laughs> no. um, but cool. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about these guys before I let you go? Um, I know. Again, you didn't see. You weren't around for most of these guys' primes with the Braves. But uh, any other big takeaways before we let you go? Uh, I don't know if, if I have any other takeaways, but I would really just recommend just if you're interested, if you like the Braves at all. If, I'm assuming you do since you're listening to us. But just really dive back into what these guys did over their careers because. I mean, I did that for just a brief period tonight to, to kind of prepare for this and act like I knew what I was talking about. But it's really interesting to look back at all this stuff. Like, these guys are way more impressive when you're actually looking at their, their track records than you probably even remember. And it's just cool to see all the things that they did. These little quirky things that I find interesting are fun. So it's, if it's been a long time since you guys have really looked into these guys, definitely just go to their baseball reference page, check them out, and maybe watch a highlight video or two of Andrew Jones uh, playing defense. Yeah, go find your your favorite Andrew Jones uh, defensive highlight compilation and just... Turn it into a GIF and then just, just spam it on Twitter. Yeah, enjoy enjoy that for sure. Uh, Carlos, I appreciate you coming on, my friend. Um, 
everybody knows who you are and where to follow you, but hopefully yeah. uh, if they're super into the Padres, uh, they've come to the right place with you these days. <laughs> I no, doubt they found this podcast if they are, but hey. If, maybe if, maybe if they're following you. Christian Bethencourt still, I'll give you all the Christian Bethencourt information. Oh, yeah. It used to be Melvin Upton, too, and now we've we've uh, moved to Melvin he's, Upton. He's gone now. Uh, R.I.P. Melvin. Uh, Basically, my career now is just going to be following Melvin Upton wherever he goes. If you go to if you move to Toronto for your next gig, I'm going to make fun of you quite a bit. Uh, I don't for following Melvin Canada, up. but San Diego to Canada seems pretty drastic. So, uh, either way, thanks for having me on, Brad. It's always a pleasure. Absolutely, sir. We'll have to do it again uh, in the near future. Uh, everybody else, please stay tuned for an episode later in the weekend and more normal episode it'll probably be just be, be me, me by myself perhaps some mailbag questions so if you have questions for that get those in uh, to us uh, follow us on Twitter at Talking Chop on Facebook at Talking Chop uh, I am at BT Roland Carlos is at Carlos A. Colazzo and uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes do all those fun things tell your friends and as always stay tuned and thanks for listening